So 45% of student loan borrowers expect to go delinquent when payments resume on October 1st. Now that's pretty insane, obviously, but it doesn't strike me as strange or odd or even out of the ordinary, right? Let's be honest, college used to be a place where people went for a very select number of degrees, and it was a very deliberate choice, but I certainly know from my own anecdotal experience and from anecdotal experience of others uh, in the data backs this up too, that college is now just considered the next step for American teenagers. Rather than a deliberate measure because you have some career path in mind, the majority of students go to college without any career ambition whatsoever. It's morphed into to an extension of high school, and that's thanks to guaranteeing student loans to basically every aimless, meandering student that walks through the door and breathes and has a pulse. Um, ultimately, the majority of people who take on these loans, again, because they're going to college because it's just the next step for them, they don't really need these loans, right? This is the paradigm shift in the American university system, and it's a paradigm shift that has created rampant capital misallocation not just across businesses, but across American citizens, right? We're talking human capital misallocation, people taking on debt because even when they don't need to, right? Because of course, going to college doesn't exactly suit them. They may be better suited in a trade. They may be better suited in starting a family or working at a local store or doing any number of other things, but they go to college instead. They take on debt because they view it as the next step and they do it unknowingly and unwittingly. And of course, because of this, debtors have increasingly diminished in quality as the college dream sort of proliferates across the United States to those who never intended to attend uh, and have had these loans pushed on them. Um, and as the quality of debtors decreases, their collective ability to pay back lenders has diminished too. The main evidence we have for our claim is today's video. We're going to talk about why 45% of student loan borrowers say that they are going to go delinquent once they have to start repaying them again up next. But first, a word from our sponsor, uh, River. You can invest in Bitcoin with confidence at river.com slash TBL. You guys, River is setting a new standard when it comes to Bitcoin. They have one of the best in-class solutions for buying Bitcoin and certainly the best in-class solution for a Bitcoin exchange. Uh, they have their own multi-sig setup, so you can rest assured that all the Bitcoin you put on their exchange is not being lent out to other parties uh, as we've seen several crypto exchanges do over the last year. Invest in Bitcoin with confidence today by going to river.com slash TBL and getting $5 in free Bitcoin when you invest $100. Now let's get back into it. So this is a very big issue. And the reason I say it's a big issue, not because, oh, it's bad that these people can't pay off their loans, right? Ultimately, you know, it's a cultural paradigm shift. It's this huge issue that's been boiling and boiling and boiling for 50, 60, 70 years. And now it's time to pay the piper, right? Ultimately, there are no solutions other than a violent deleveraging. The problem here is that while this may not kick off the next credit event, i.e. when student loans uh, end up defaulting, it's not going to send creditors into a spiral, of course, because federal student loans are lent by the U.S. government. But the real economic fallout is going to come from this 180 heel turn in consumer spending. That results, right? Ultimately, economic growth uh, is very closely tied to spending in this very consumer-heavy world economy that we have today. And when consumers' behaviors shift, now that they have this huge payment burden to pay down, then that is going to lead to a subsequent economic downturn. The severity of that is the main question, right? Uh, so let's talk about brass tacks. What is this problem like? Well, federal student loan debt totaled $1.569 trillion 
as of Q2, which represents 92.6% of all student loan debt in the US. I know that I have private student loans. I have basically no federal loans, but that's not the case for the majority of people here, as is corroborated by the data. Now, the reason that there is such a brick wall approaching uh, is because federal student loan interest starts accruing uh, in two days uh, on October 1st, if I'm if I'm correct on that. Actually, excuse me, in two days on September 1st, and principal and interest payments will begin on October 1st. Um, now, this is a pretty big uh, problem for the 43.6 million borrowers who have gotten away with not paying their loans for the last two years. Obviously, emergency post-COVID loan forbearance, and even though we've had this huge economic boom expansion, 9.1% inflation, for whatever reason, um, student loan repayments have still been paused. Um, this has left borrowers with an average of $35,986 in debt. Um, and of course, not all these borrowers are creditworthy. And therein lies the problem that just keeps getting worse. Bad debt and bad borrowing habits have subsumed U.S. consumers and U.S. businesses. This is a problem we talked about on this show before. People have borrowed for the sake of borrowing. Interest rates have been in a 50-year decline, um, and so the impulse for the sake of to spend, just for the sake of spending, rises as rates go lower and lower and lower. Because essentially what you're doing is you lose money if you don't borrow, because interest rates have been below the rate of CPI inflation for so long, you're actually losing money if you don't borrow and then spend. Um, you know, And this has been happening for several years now. So Ultimately, college enrollment is the most shining example of this behavior, this bad debt, this proliferation of people taking on student loans and just going to college just because they view it as the next step. And we can view this most prominently in college enrollment. Undergraduate enrollment has risen by 165% since 1970, right? And I don't need to tell you, but productivity has not increased by the same amount, nor has the amount of jobs that postgraduate students go into. Ultimately, more people are going to college, but college is becoming less worthwhile as a function of that. Low quality debt has played a huge factor in this explosion in college enrollment and the increasing prevalence of graduates not being able to find a career to pay down their loans. In fact, a study conducted last September just paints the picture of how rampant the problem of unnecessary college degrees is. This is by ELVTR, which is a virtual lending platform. They say, and I quote, and I'll read this for you. I do not have an image of it. It says more than three in four respondents, 77%, additionally say that they regret their higher education choices. More than one in three, 36%, specifically expressing regret about taking out loans to fund their education. So three in four people who went to college say they regret it, uh, and more than one in three specifically regret their student loans. Very, very interesting. And you think about it this way, right? When you're in college, I certainly know that when I was in college, a great deal of students ended up going to a state school. Why do you go to a state school? Well, because you don't necessarily know what you want to do. Maybe, maybe you go undeclared. That's an even bigger thing. You go undeclared. Now, you know, Answer me this question. If college is meant to be a place of higher education, you go there because you have a career choice in mind that you need specialized education for, then why on planet Earth are you going to college undeclared, right? Ultimately, this is a problem that has been growing and growing and growing and growing and growing uh, as the norm has just been after you're done with high school, go to college. Students don't have a dedicated, a dead set uh, a very targeted career path, and so they're aimless. And rather than actually owning up to that aimlessness and figuring life out right then and there, 
they decide, well, I'll just take on these uh, <laughs> five-figure, sometimes six-figure loans and delay that decision another four years. And then ultimately they get out and they realize, uh-oh, now I am just as aimless as I was when I left high school but I'm saddled with five or six figures of debt. Uh, and this is, of course, given rise to a generation of outraged students, but their outrage is totally misplaced, right? Let me be clear. It's not necessarily the college's fault that students mistakenly borrowed five or six figures beyond their means to pay it. It's cultural, just like I mentioned how it's cultural, how we've we've turned this into the next step for college when it should not be, uh, next step for high school students when it should not be for everybody. Um, uh, and, of course, it is the uh, this, this spend-at-all-costs cultural toxicity that has been brought about from many decades of artificially low interest rates. And that has created a huge swath of people my age, not myself included, but increasingly so, people my age who are demanding that their leaders forgive them of this debt. And it's up to all of us. It's up to all of us to actually have a cultural discussion about the utility of college. And I know I certainly have been doing that um, and uh, where it's supposed to lie. Um, all of this capital misallocation is now coming to the fore and it's a problem that's getting worse. Um, people should not mindlessly go to college. Ultimately, that is that is what I believe. That is what I believe would solve a lot of this. Um, but of course, we're not going to get into that in today's video. Uh, what's more, the Department of Education, and this is about bad credit quality, the Department of Education doesn't even check students' credit scores before writing them loans. That's kind of obscene, right? Um, you think back to, uh, of course, uh, 2008 in the run-up to that. Um, ninja loans, right? No income, no job, no income verification, right? Um, no, no workplace verification. Those were those were the lending standards back then, and of course, with student loans, of course, it's federally guaranteed. It's not the same. It's not as if these loans are being securitized and and given to financial and bought by financial institutions and having all this bad debt spread out throughout the financial system. But it just goes to show that right college borrowers, student students that are borrowing for college, ultimately they're bad quality borrowers. And if they're low quality borrowers, chances are they are low quality. Uh, going to be low-quality workers when they leave if they can find a job for their major at all. And that has given rise to a lower-quality education and more and more student distress once they graduate. Uh, and with all of this pent-up low-quality borrowing, we're long overdue for a deleveraging of student loans, which means a reduction in the overall level of student loan debt, either through repayments or through default. Uh, and lo and behold, the likelihood of that no repayment scenario, that default scenario from borrowers is at an all-time high. You could take a look at this GIF here. I won't play it too much so you don't get a headache as it moves up and down and up and down. But 90 days delinquent or past due loans are currently 0.63% of outstanding federal student debt thanks to March 2020's uh, loan repayment pause, right? Pretty low, pretty low, right? You know, down there, very low. Historically, it's at an all-time low. But... This is all coming to an end on October 1st, as 45% of student loan borrowers expect to go delinquent once the pause on student loan payments ends. I think this GIF right here illustrates it more perfectly than I or anybody else could articulate, from an all-time low in expected late payments to an all-time high. So this is insane. This is crazy. It's a function of very low-quality borrowers aimlessly going to school uh, and uh, equally as irresponsible institutions that are giving them, extending them, and guaranteeing them loans without even checking the credit quality of them. So what happens here? What happens here? We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, ultimately, millions, millions of people took on student loans. and They even voted uh, for the, the current sitting president because the main selling point was that they wouldn't have to pay them back. 
<laughs> this was the main selling point, in fact, for 77% of young people, 35 and under, that voted for the sitting president. That was the main selling point for a very large swath of the voting populace. It's kind of insane, um, particularly considering that now it's not happening. Um, debt is now coming due for the worst kind of borrower. It, it's as if a tenant signed a lease without a job because they thought that the landlord would do them a solid and let them out for free, let them live for free, right? And now 30 months of rent is suddenly coming due. That's the dynamic that's headed for markets right now. And what happens when, when that happens? Well, consumers panic. What do they do? They have to pay their landlord, and so they cut spending elsewhere, right? So what happens if these 45% of student borrowers cannot pay down their loans? Well, the fallout in the real economy would ripple several miles wide, and it starts with the impact on lenders. But given that these lender, the, the lenders for these loans are, of course, the federal government, um, you know, just like it has the ability to tax its citizens in order to make sure it gets what it's owed, owed, right? Nonsense. The government has outside its power over these student borrowers as well. Default on federal student loans means the Fed just garnishes students' wages in order to pay it off, right? You can be late and you can even default, but you can't declare bankruptcy. When people declare bankruptcy, when businesses declare bankruptcy, you get to reorganize your debt, restructure it so you can pay it uh, more easily on your own terms. But the federal government doesn't play that way. They play hardball. They simply take a piece of your wages in perpetuity until the loan is paid down. So if you are a student and you default on your federal student loan, the government's essentially just going to come kicking down the door and they're owed a piece of your wages in perpetuity. Um, so basically, you know, if you don't pay down your loan, the government will just take your income and pay it down for you, right? Um, and this is known as wage gar garnishment um, as per the Consumer Credit Protection Act's Title III. Um, and another interesting thing is that there is no limit to the amount of a person's wages that may be garnished since the unpaid debt is owed to the federal government. So essentially, they can take as much of your money uh, as they want, as high of a percentage of each paycheck as they want, and there's no legal recourse for that. Um, so from studentaid.gov, uh, student some other consequences of default include the entire unpaid balance of your loans and any interest, due, interest owed becomes immediately due. So that's consequence number one. Borrowers can no longer receive any deferment or forbearance. That makes sense. They lose eligibility for additional student aid. Uh, the default is reported to credit bureaus immediately, which damages your credit rating and affects your ability to buy a house, a car, get a credit card, etc. It may take years, and that obviously takes years to reestablish. Um, you may not be able to purchase or sell assets such as real estate, living in a home, thinking of buying a home. Can't do it if you don't pay off your debt. Um, your tax refunds and other federal benefits may be withheld and applied towards repayment. Um, your wages, of course, as mentioned, may be garnished, and there's an unlimited percentage of them that will be. Um, the loan holder can take them to court, right? So the federal government can take you to court. Uh, and of course, you will be charged those court costs. So regardless of whether you enter default, the U.S. government is getting paid. So is there any loss borne in the event of default and who bears that loss? Well, ultimately, it's the citizens of the U.S. and U.S. dollar holders globally that bear the pain of uh, when federal student loans default. Now, I'm not saying they are. Students are saying that they very well may or at least be late on their payments. And we'll talk about the second order effects of that in just a moment. But ultimately, if... U.S. dollar devaluation happens, right? If loan revenue losses are so widespread, and I'm not saying that they will be, that a form of hybrid Fed, Congress, money creation ensues to pick up the slack, then U.S. dollar holders bear the brunt of that deval. Uh, also, 
the student loan servicers uh, who handle billing on behalf of the U.S. Department of Education will likely take a haircut as well, just like when a bank is holding a loan and that loan goes sour, the bank takes a haircut. But given the U.S. Uh, government's ability to, again, collect past due loans via breaking your legs and wage garnishment, um, we imagine that federal loan servicers are more insulated um, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, any pain that they may bear is temporary um, than normal lenders would be in the event of default. Uh, like I mentioned, thankfully, federal student loans are not securitized. However, um, thankfully, thankfully, right, this stopped after 2010, but loans prior to 2010, um, private student loans were guaranteed by the federal government and securitized. So I mentioned 2008 a few moments ago where uh, essentially all this bad lending took place because banks didn't care about the credit quality of borrowers. Uh, they were just able to securitize the loan, i.e. package the payments into something that another bank or financial institution or person could buy. So the bank would get all the money up front and then the cash flows would be to those security holders. And ultimately what that created was a bubble of bad debt holders. Well, this doesn't happen for student loans because although the, the quality of borrowers is terrible, like we just mentioned, the loans aren't securitized, at least all of the loans that have happened in the last 13 years. Prior to that, right, so student loan borrowers who are 32, 3, 4, 5, and up, right, then those loans are being held by financial institutions. And uh-oh, of course they're insured by the US government, but what happens if those loans default, those older loans default? That's not good. Then the people who are holding those securities get a huge haircut and they may have to default elsewhere. But again, far from systemic, but just something that you should have on your mind, that people are holding this toxic debt that may not be insulated uh, from those big losses should we see lots of defaults. Um, but of course, there are several safety nets that have been introduced by the Biden-Harris administration, which we'll discuss in just a second. Um, but again, if it gets hairy, there's no doubt that some of these lenders that are holding these now toxic pre-2010 student loans um, and slabs or student loan asset-backed securities will go under, right? You've heard mortgage-backed security. You've heard the big short. Well, there are student loan asset-backed securities too. I'm sure that'll help you sleep at night as October 1st approaches. Um, so if lenders go insolvent, you know, if lenders going insolvent isn't the major economic risk here, given that the main lender is the U.S. government, what is the big risk that's posed by record high delinquencies, 45% delinquencies on federal student loan debt? Well, the main economic risk is the reversal of post-2020 heightened consumer spending and the subsequent economic deceleration, however severe, that will result. But first, let's talk about our sponsor for today's video. That's Foundation Devices. Foundation Devices is self-custody done right, you guys. They're the maker of Envoy, which is a simple and easy to use and private mobile wallet that you can download for free today on Google Play and the App Store. And they also have the most intuitive hardware solution in Bitcoin with the Passport. You'll take this right out of the box and know exactly how to use it the moment that you start. If you've been on the fence about taking your Bitcoin off exchanges, Foundation suite of intuitive self-custody devices is for you. Guys, take custody of your Bitcoin today by visiting foundationdevices.com. Now, right back into it. So consumer spending, that is the main problem here. Um, so the final stretch of loan forgiveness will begin on October 1st, um, when a one-year grace period for delinquent loans kicks off. That's right. This October 1st, although repayment begins, you actually don't have to pay them for another year. The Biden-Harris administration introduced an on-ramp transition period, that's what it's calling it, which lasts from October 1st, 2023 to September 30th, 2024, where interest will not accru will accrue on the loans, but it won't capitalize. 
and missed payments will not be reported to credit bureaus or considered as delinquent and enter default. So let me rephrase. Ultimately, you have one more year for these bad borrowers to buy time and stave off any defaults, at least another 365 days. Uh, but be that as it may, the consumer spending paradigm will shift in the coming months as loan interest begins occurring again. Um, student loan payments are often the largest monthly expense for college graduates until they buy a home or they buy a vehicle. And they've been spending for two years as if they did not have those payments. Okay, think about it this way. You have been a few thousand dollars a month richer if you have student loans over the last two years because you haven't had to pay them, right? Federal student loans would make up the majority of student loans, 92 point something percent, discussed earlier. And you've been able to spend for two years like you did not have that payment to worry about. And now you do. So what happens to consumer spending? It tanks, right? You cut spending elsewhere to fund your student loans. That extra room left in the budget for excess discretionary spending is no more. And on top of that, credit scores will fall en masse for a swath of bad borrowers once delinquent loans are finally reported to bureaus next year, which reduces their ability to take on the volume or the interest rate of credit that they're assumed that they are uh, they're accustomed to, okay? So consumer spending, right, which again props up economic growth, spending in this, you know, with this credit-based economy that we live in is economic growth. It's very closely tied to economic growth. And that will snap back to reality after years of this unadulterated vacation-esque spending thanks to deferred student loan obligations and also the rent moratorium in many parts of the country no longer being a thing, right? Um, so pair the, these two cold water loan realities uh, with the highest real interest rates in 16 years and discretionary spending is circling the drain, okay? And discretionary spending and consumer spending in general um, makes up a significant portion of economic activity. This exacerbates the deflation risk that is already ever-present um, and brought about by the aforementioned factors. If consumers reduce spending cold turkey by 20, 30, 40, even 50%, thanks to the resumption of st federal student loan payments, then risks are teetering towards price deflation. And the reason that the, the Fed hates price deflation is because people do not spend economic activity tanks when we enter recession. So that is why, right, this brick wall of student loan payments is risking a big economic unwind. Then, of course, um, it could be slow, right? We're not saying that there's going to be some violent credit event. But as consumers pull back, you're going to start to see real economic slowdown in the coming months and, of course, headed into next year. In fact, consumers are already doing this. They're planning on cutting both discretionary and vital expenses to fund their loans once repayment resumes. Around 49% of uh, student loan borrowers plan on cutting non-necessities like Netflix and going to restaurants. 40% plan on taking additional jobs. And 26% plan on burning through emergency savings. Perhaps the most gut-wrenching of it all, 56% of all student loan borrowers say they'll have to choose between their debt and buying groceries. Let me repeat that one more time with a little bit of gravitas. More than half of student loan borrowers are going to have to choose between buying groceries to put food on their own and their family's table and paying their federal student loans. That's how bad it's gotten. That's how bad the student loan borrowing has become. And that's how even after two years, borrowers haven't been responsible enough to get their act in order to be able to pay this off. That is how systemic this is going to be. Um, and this is why, as we've stated in our title, 45% of borrowers think they'll go delinquent and then default once payment starts resuming next month. Um, now, some have cited the low pre-COVID repayment rate as a reason that a 45% delinquency rate may be too conservative of an estimate. 
um, for seeing far worse repayment of past due loans over the next year and beyond. But we'll stick with the 45% number for now. Um, now, decreased spending and decreased lending, right, they go hand in hand in the cycle of economic deceleration that the student loan payment resumption will only add fuel to. Um, it's a catalyst for defaults elsewhere, too, right? Look at other types of loans. Auto loans, severe 60-day or more late auto loan payments are at their highest level since 2006, and mortgage rates are at 7.56% and counting, right? Uh, that's 25-year high. Uh, not easing any pain in the financial, you know, in, in financing homes either, right? So obviously other payments uh, will not be paid off, right? Whether it's mortgages or auto loans. We've already started to see late payments on those tick up at the margin. We live in a credit-based economic system, okay? I'll, I'll say this one more time. Credit creation equals economic growth and credit, create, credit contraction equals economic contraction. The bottom line Money isn't free anymore, and for an economy that is cozied up to its artificially suppressed interest rates for several decades, that's not good, okay? So it's time to face the music. Ultimately, decades of reckless borrowing and reckless lending are coming to a head. Um, and while we think a wave of defaults is unlikely, thanks to more can-kicking programs for, from the uh, incumbent presidential administration, the dominoes of reduced spending and reduced lending to U.S. consumers will be a huge headwind for U.S. economic activity. It will really bring that down. Rather than a wall of unpaid maturities that sparks a violent unwind like your typical credit events, right? Um, this is a process that snowballs. What we believe this is going to be is a slow deceleration in consumer spending that picks up speed as it rolls downhill. Um, a gradual unwind rather than some kind of violent one-day event, right? Uh, any further forgiveness only introduces more moral hazard into the system. Let's be real, you guys. Um, people out there with their uh, with their signs begging for forgiveness. Ultimately, this only kicks the can down the road, creates more capital misallocation. People know their loans are going to be forgiven. They take on more debt. And ultimately, it makes more despair, absolute and utter despair, one way or another, when we have to face and pay the piper down the road, right? Now, the Biden-Harris administration's proposed $20,000 in student loan forgiveness will exacerbate the bad risk-taking bubble, right? And this isn't a bubble in the traditional sense like asset prices, but a capital misallocation bubble, the one I've been talking about this whole video. And it's a malignant one whose tentacles have, you know, ensnared all parts of the U.S. economy, seen and unseen. Rampant capital misallocation. Cheap borrowing has lowered the quality of life for those with very little while improving the quality of life for those who own assets and are very close to the monetary spigot at the Federal Reserve and major U.S. banks. Loan forgiveness will not help this. Guaranteeing student loans as well has been a disaster, not just for students, uh, but for the quality of education and the utility of a college degree the one I have behind me. Ultimately, the utility of that 50 years ago is far higher than it is today. There are far fewer people getting them, and the people that did get them did so because they had a specific career in mind. And now, students are going in mindlessly, taking on debt that they can't pay down, and then instead of living aimlessly without $50,000 in debt, they're living aimlessly with $50,000 in debt. Not good. So continuing to backstop student loans would make the disaster even larger. The first through 99th order effects of this multi-decade capital misallocation bubble have yet to be realized. We have yet to see the tip of the iceberg here. A deleveraging, however violent, is needed to reset the economic scales, okay? However painful, the can-kicking and papier-mâché have run their course. If a multi-year recession is needed to correct the decades of rampant capital misallocation, so be it. Maybe it is, right? But ultimately, it is the United States' turn to face the music. I think we can all agree on one thing, though. I am personally bullish on pawn shops as students look to sell 
all of their assets in order to uh, make ends meet with student loan payments. So that's it for this video. I really appreciate you guys watching. Of course, this is the long one. Make sure you share it with your friends so they are in the know about what's coming for the economy and what is coming for student loan payments. And of course, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe so you never miss out on what we are uploading. And of course, a special thanks to River.com for sponsoring this video. They're the Bitcoin exchange of choice for the long-term investor. You guys, you can securely buy Bitcoin with 100% full reserve custody, zero fees when you dollar cost average, and even buy a hosted Bitcoin miner totally hassle-free. Again, invest in Bitcoin with confidence at river.com slash TBL and get $5 in free Bitcoin when you invest your first 100. Special thanks to River Foundation for sponsoring this video and thank you to you for watching all the way to the end. That's all for today. Have a good one.